0: Welcome everyone to our live broadcast We're broadcasting live We're trying something new tonight I stumbled upon something that YouTube is putting together There's actually a live broadcast feature on YouTube now with some kind of neat features. If you're already tuned in, you can see the. Oh, anyway, I won't go into it. Let's just get started. But yeah, we have a chat now. So you can chat with me on YouTube and I can see it. Let me know if there's any issues. Hopefully you can hear me now. If you can't, let me know. If there's any problems with the stream, let me know. Anyway, so tonight's teaching, again we're continuing with the um, Anguttara Nikaya. So tonight's teaching is the third chapter of the Anguttara Nikaya. Which begins as the other ones do Nahang bhikve anyang samanupasami. Yeah, here's another th- neat thing I can do. Let see here. right Now you should see hopefully you see this. So we have another group of ten it does about the mind. I don't know if this is at all interesting. Let's go back to the other one. Hi. These suttas are about the mind. It's called the Akkamaniyavaga, the chapter on unwieldy, being unwieldy, that which is unwieldy. We talked about this word unwieldy Akamaniya is uh, is the word kam kamaniya means you can work it or you can use it. Akhamania means you can't use it. Anyway, so it's that's the first one. But there are ten and the the general gist of this chapter is about the importance of the mind, the power of the mind, the efficacy of the mind that the mind is efficacious meaning it, it has an influence, it has an effect what goes on in the mind uh, has results it's meaningful not just what we would call an epiphenomena, meaning something that uh, occurs but has no has no effect on, on the system. This is really the one of the most crucial aspects of the Buddha's teaching, or cru- crucial points of, of doctrine in Buddhism. That the mind is efficacious; that the mind has an effect. The first verse of the Dhammapada. There's no. Uh, it's no coincidence, that the first verse is "Manopo Bangama Dhamma." All dhammas are preceded by the mind. That the mind is the beginning. For 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 a long time, this has been. So uh, this has been denied by science, modern materialist science, because when you observe a system, a physical system, you don't see uh, the mind, you can't observe the mind. The mind is not part of the system. And so for the longest time it was thought that because when we observe the system, there is no mind, we, uh, it, it, the mind doesn't it really exist, it's just a... Someone, as someone explained to me it's a surface phenomenon, like heat or color, meaning it's a result of, of what is real, but it's not real itself. It's like harmony when you bang a, a tuning fork the the vibrations create sound there's a great problem with that argument but without going there the the interesting thing is in the the 20th century when quantum physics uh, became prominent they realized that they had missed an important part of the equation that uh, when you say Observing the system, you forget to to take into account the act of observation and now that doesn't seem important from a material science point of view but it as quantum physics showed it it's crucially important, and that in fact reality goes beyond the physical systems that we observe that the physical systems that we observe are um, Na- their nature is dictated by the observation they don't come into being even until the until observed or uh, right the, the this the the system is dependent on the observation the system uh, the definition of the system has to include the observation in it Meaning, if you observe things in a certain way, you get a certain result. I mean, that observation is, and the mind is crucially important. Now, that's just um, a description from uh, a modern scientific point of view, but from the point of view of our meditation, it doesn't really matter what people believe or or what modern theory is. Because clearly the mind is the most crucial aspect of the meditative experience. Regardless of whether you believe that it is, has an effect on the world around you. It certainly has an effect on, on our experience. But this is important, and I think overlooked by beginner meditators to their detriment or to their peril at their peril because we're talking a lot about results and trying to, to, uh, to verify the success that one is having or has had with one's practice and the problem with that I mean it's just an example really but It's a good example because the problem with that is when you start to wonder about your progress when you start to wonder about the effects of the mind, let's put it this way in a general sense if you start to investigate is the mind efficacious is my meditation having an effect on my life that observation, that investigation is in and of itself efficacious in a bad way, I mean in in a, in a an obstructive way, because you're no longer meditating. So what this means is when a meditator um, begins to question their practice, I mean this is the problem with doubt really. When you begin to doubt your practice, or question your practice, you're no longer able to observe your practice, you're no longer able to observe the benefits. And that's a big problem. So the way it plays out is a meditator will be practicing and getting good results. Um, they will be learning things and their mind will be coming clear. But then something comes up that triggers a response and they're no longer being mindful. And as soon as they stop being mindful, they start to question. Because they're, they're falling into delusion. Their, their mind is no longer clear. They'll ask themselves, you know, oh, this bad thing came, there must be something wrong. That's our ordinary way of understanding bad things. Some pain came up, or my mind is being distracted, and it's uncomfortable. So there must be something wrong. and so you start to question. And as soon as you start to question, you're no longer being mindful. And because you're no longer being mindful, you can no longer you're no longer getting any benefit. So it becomes a vicious spiral. You're not practicing, so you're not getting any benefit. You're not getting any benefit, so you don't think the practice is any good. Is you know, is worth doing? So you don't practice, and so you don't get any benefit. This is why. I mean, it sounds like I'm kind of. It sounds like a kind of a, um, a tricky thing to say that somehow uh, I'm trying to avoid offering up any benefit to the meditation practice. But this is why you have to. Find benefit in the present moment You have to see goodness Rather than worrying about results in the future Living in the future, living in the past You find the benefit in in the quality of the present moment The quality of your present experience The quality of your mind in the present moment and you, 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 you reassure yourself, you demand of yourself the honesty and, and the appreciation that a, a pure mind is a good thing, regardless of exactly what results it brings. You force yourself to accept the honest truth, that a good that a good state can only bring good things, and so you stop worrying about what are the results. But I bring this up because it's it's an interesting example of the efficacy of the mind, the importance of uh, the state of mind, and and how 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 subtle and delicate is the state of meditation practice i mean and also how real it is this isn't a game where you can sit back and and uh, look and see how you're doing see what the score is as soon as you step back and try to keep score you're you're affecting the game and there's no stepping out and this goes with everything when you take a break from the meditation practice you don't take a break from life you start to cultivate unwholesomeness. Says my teacher would. M- many times he said. Um, he pointed out how karma works on the momentary level. He would say. Every time that you're not mindful, there's delusion. When you like something, that's greed. When you dislike something, that's anger. When you're not mindful. Whether you dislike it or like it, or don't don't dislike it, don't like it. There's delusion every moment. Our our existence in samsara is not static. Not the way we think it is. No? We think of ourselves as having a life, and we can live our lives, and just. You know, coast through life. But we're constantly changing. We're constantly following our habits and cultivating habits. And so we're constantly becoming our habits. And so the importance of the mind, this is really the key in, in our practice, is to realize and to put into put into action the power of the mind, make the mind work for us. Because as these suttas say, the first one says, "I can see nothing. Nothing nothing that is... I can see nothing more unwieldy. nothing more useless is probably anathaya that's the next one nothing more useless than the untrained mind the untrained mind is of great well anathaya may also mean uh, detriment the untrained mind is of great detriment Like like unlike anything else, you know the untrained body. Well, there's lots of things you can do if your body is well trained. But no matter what you have in the physical world, no matter your wealth or your power, your physical prowess, your physical possessions, your physical stature, status, and position, and fame and glory. If your mind is useless, you are useless. All the physical wealth in the world is useless. On the other hand, if you have nothing, if you live on a park bench, but your mind is strong, your mind is wieldy, is cultivated, then you're invincible. You're omnipotent, um, that's not very right you have perfect power. There's nothing that can shake you. Unshakable. And so these ten suttas just go through different ways of saying that. They bring it brings happiness. The trained mind brings happiness untrained mind leads to harm leads to suffering the uncultivated mind and there's this word patubhuta which means made he, Bodhi translated it as manifest and he understands it as being applied, being used, being tapped if you don't put your mind, if you don't Put your mind to use. Right. You've wasted the, the greatest potential that we have to benefit and to prosper and to succeed in life and everything we do. I mean, think about training your body even, right? Compare these two. How much of training your body is mental, right? The mental fortitude, the mental prowess to actually undertake the training and, and persist with the training. To succeed in business, to succeed in study, to succeed in relationships. How much of it is dependent on the mind? Everything we do. And yet, what do we do with our mind? Do we train it? Do we clean it? Do we care for it? We abuse it. We neglect it. We sully it. We feed it with garbage and junk and we torture it. We repress it. We stretch it totally out of shape. And then we expect to find happiness. You see, the mind. And this you see you feel this no more no uh, you feel this greater nowhere else than in meditation. Meditation you can't uh, when you're sitting still you know when you've got nothing else to distract you then your your relationship with your mind is most important. If you become distracted, you'll feel it and start to get a headache. If you become uh, desirous of this or that, you'll feel the heat. If you have anger or aversion, you have to deal with it. It's like a a pressure car. All the emotions, all the mental upset and stress and defilement it's all in there so this is why when you meditate you have to be you have to see things like doubt as a hindrance you have to see things like desire and aversion and as hindrances you can't you can't uh, entertain them analyze and, and worry about them. You want to really progress in meditation, everything has to be clinical and systematic. Everything has to be as seen as an experience. Even your responses to the experiences, your interpretations. When you when you interpret something, the interpretation is also an experience. You can't see entities and, and you can't get caught up in things. You know, I this is about the mind, it's a little bit of Dhamma for tonight How are we doing? Okay, I've got these neat, this neat dashboard here And you've, you've all got this great chat feature Which I'm kind of concerned about because now we're letting loose the floodgates And that was what our website was for It was meant to filter out uh, meditators and non-meditators Filter out non-meditators. And leave us with only meditators. So I'm not sure we're going to... I think we're going to take questions only from our website for now. we all can chat on YouTube, but if you don't sign up for our website and start meditating, sorry. Because it's just too much, you know? I've done this before, and it gets too far, too broad-based. So I never get anything done, because I'm just answering question after question. So we're going back to our website. Let's see if I can... This is our website, meditation.sirimangalo.org. Okay. Okay, I want to tell you guys, don't... Don't argue so much. Our chat box is full full of debates and discussions. Be chill out. Uh, Okay, so some questions. Did you ever teach people? Did you ever teach to people with schizophrenia or bipolar? If so, what was your experience? No, I've never had the honor. Um, I may never because we've got, of course, liability issues if I start to muck around with people who have, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know that in Canada liability is such an issue, but could be. I may. I mean, I, I would like to. I would like to. I would. I would be happy to. Because I know such people are really a prime subject for the meditation practice to see whether it works. Yeah, switch back here. I don't think, Mm. I think this is a better view. Watch the monk. The monk will do the reading for you. Um, Because, I mean, schizophrenia and bipolar, I I think, are quite different. I'm not sure, but like, schizophrenia is hallucinations which are, you know, lead to paranoia and, and extremes of emotion. But bipolar is just extremes of emotion, right? Both of them are problematic in terms of the reactions to experiences. So it's a prime example of the importance of training the mind and to to see things as they are and not judge them. You said in a listening to Dhamma video we should meditate with listening. Does it mean regular meditation with labeling as usual? Uh, and if we hear the words, yeah, just label hearing. You don't have to go back to the breath. You can stay with the hearing if someone's shouting at you or even just talking to you. I mean, you don't have to even say it three times. You can just say it once, especially in your daily life. it's you know, it's, uh, it's a war zone, really, when you try to meditate during daily life. If you can get one clear awareness of this is hearing, this is seeing, this is thinking, good for you. But yeah, if someone's talking on and on and you're not too concerned about getting involved with what they say or responding, you can just say hearing, hearing. It makes you feel a lot better, more at peace, much better able to respond when they give you a turn. Perhaps hard to to ingest and and understand what they're saying and really contemplate it. But mm-hmm. honestly, if you're mindful, you can get the gist of what people say and then you know, keep it simple, keep it down to earth. You won't get caught up in there, in any kind of um, mental ratiocination. Uh, formal sitting meditation. So, should we balance it with walking meditation? Yeah, balancing walking with sitting is more when you're doing a, when you're doing a meditation intensively, because you can't just sit around all day. Now, if you're just doing meditation in daily life, you don't have to balance, and it doesn't mean that you have to balance as a rule, because uh, it's, you know it, it's quite. You can meditate in any position. It's meaningless how much walking and how much sitting you do. What's nice about balancing walking and sitting is um, it challenges your partiality. If you're partial to sitting, it challenges you. If you're partial to walking, it challenges you by changing, by taking you out of your comfort zone, by forcing you to be flexible, by changing the condition, teaching you to deal with impermanence. I notice I have become more intolerant of loud noises after I began meditating. Isn't the opposite supposed to happen? Yes, the opposite is supposed to happen. I mean, in the beginning, I mentioned that I've talked about this, in the beginning you're just allowing yourself to have reactions rather than reacting. Like, you have a reaction, I don't like this, so you run away from it. Instead, you're allowing the reaction to come. So... Let that come up. When you, when you dislike loud noises, focus on the disliking. The other thing is your mind is much more focused, so you're able to see the experiences clearer, so they seem more intense. But they should, in general, be more intense because you're allowing them to happen. You're, you're allowing your mind to... You know, you're, you're studying the nature of your mind, so you're, you're, you're no longer reacting to your reactions and trying to avoid them. distract yourself, you're no longer distracting yourself from your actions you're focusing on them, so you're getting to see them and rather than reacting to them, just let them be, when you're angry let it be anger, say angry, angry but eventually, yeah, you should become more tolerant but again, you know, if you're worrying if you're worrying about you're not getting good results that worrying is getting in the way of your meditation and you won't be able to see results that way if you want to f- see the benefit of the meditation it has to be the benefit of the moment of meditation when you're mindful at that moment you can't look at it from a protracted am i getting better point of view because the mind is very complicated it gets better it gets worse it's got all sorts of mess and jumble of good and bad things inside. I understand how meditation affects future karma, but could you explain how it affects past karma? It doesn't affect past karma. Um, It affects the results of past karma. So if you've done something bad, But then you do something good, well, sometimes the good thing you do can cancel it out. Meditation is a good thing. So it can affect bad and good things you've done in the past. Affect the results of those things. certainly can't affect the karma. The karma is done. How do you deal with hunger pains? I'm on my third day of not eating after twelve, and it's harder than I thought. You know, you should really only do that if you're doing intensive meditation. Otherwise, yeah, it should be probably pretty difficult. I, mean, I guess you learn to eat a lot more in the morning. I eat quite a bit in the morning. Um, but yeah, it gets easier. It's mostly easy when you've when you're doing meditation, when you're living a, a life that's not stressful. If you have to work all day, like I went I was doing eight precepts and I was eating only in the morning and then I needed to get money to go to to Thailand. this is when I actually ended up becoming a monk. And so I spent the summer tree planting and ate four meals a day. Because you had to. It's quite strenuous work. Do you ever think it's a good idea to take a break from meditation? At times I felt like I needed to take a step back and I've taken a week off or so it could be. It's more likely if you don't have a teacher because it's easy to get on the wrong path. It's easy to practice in a way that makes you more stressed that you're just plowing ahead like an ox and not actually practicing correctly so sometimes stepping back and trying again in fact in a sense meditation is always like that it's about trying doing it wrong trying again doing it wrong giving up and then trying it a new way trying it with a fresh view Because meditation is about changing the nature of your mind, the way we react to things. So In the beginning, your meditation is going to be all wrong. All wrong. You have to step back and start over, try again. And you'll slowly begin to change the way you meditate. That's key. It's not like you start meditating and just keep doing it that way and you'll get results. That's not what meditation is. Meditation is changing who you are. So thereby, therefore also changing how you meditate. Your meditation will change. The way you meditate will change if you're progressing. Worried that I might accumulate um, accumulate aversion against meditation over time and eventually give up. How can I prevent this? Don't try to prevent anything. If you have aversion towards meditation, great. That's a good object of meditation. If you're worried that you might accumulate aversion against meditation, that's great. That's worry. Good for you to see it. Learn about that worry. Come to see that that worry is the problem and that worry is stressful for you. And once you give up that worry you will be happier, you will be more at peace. I mean you don't have to go through all that, just say to yourself, worried, worried, and you'll be able to see all of that. Your mind will become clear and you'll feel better. When you have aversion toward when you do have aversion towards your meditation, just say, disliking, disliking. You see, this is the mind. It, you can't you can't step out like that. At the time when you have aversion towards meditation, that's an important to time to meditate. It's important that you meditate on that. Just to clarify, you advise to do formal meditation while listening to dhamma talks? I do. I definitely do. I. Uh, it is possible to have great meditative res- um, Great, great meditative um, results. Great, you can attain to you can attain nibbana when listening to the dhamma. You can become enlightened listening if you meditate listening to the dhamma. It's a great opportunity because whatever the person, whatever the teacher is saying, if it's about the dhamma, it will keep bringing you back to the present moment. So do meditate during the talk. There was this guy. You see this picture? I think it's in the video, right? You can see him. Yeah, this guy up here. He always says, if you listen to his talks, he's passed away, but he, his talks are on MP3, and he'll say, he'll say, uh, you can put your hands down. I'm going to give a talk. Put your hands down. And while you're listening, note at the ear, hearing, hearing, and then he'll explain why that's that's the best way to listen to the dhamma. There's different reasons for listening to the Dhamma. Some people just do it to get knowledge. Some people do it just to, because they know it's a good thing, so they do it for the good karma of listening to the Dhamma. But if you want to do it for, for, to become enlightened, you have to practice. It has to be a, a meditation practice. Is it beneficial to meet a very accomplished meditator, sotapanna and beyond? Yeah, Sure it's quite beneficial right Bundy Dan and associating with the wise sama and to see the the recklesses people who are association with the wise um, good friendship all the Buddha talked about these quite often you know all these things talked about how great they are but Ajahn Tong gives um gives good advice that is rem- memorable in his um he, g- he once gave this talk and it was recorded and turned into a book adapted into a book and where he said การเข้าไป <laughs> di. Something like that. Which means um, whether going to see an an enlightened being or staying with an enlightened being, neither of these are as good as becoming an enlightened being yourself. Who is the monk in the picture? That's uh, Lumpho Chodok. Chodok, which would be Chotika, Chodok, Jot, Chodok, Chotaka, Chotaka. I guess was his name. Chodok. They say in Thai. He was a number one Pali scholar in Thailand. Apparently, I heard a story about the year he became the top level Pali, uh, He was the only one who got who, who passed the exams. And the funny thing is that he didn't actually pass. He went. He did the, the top level Pali exams, and then he went to Burma to practice meditation. This is what I've heard. I don't know. It's just hearsay. But this monk was this monk who actually lived with him, was telling me the story. And he said he. So he was off in Burma, and then they the, the people were marking all these exams, and they found that not a single person had passed the exams that year. And they couldn't have that. Someone had to pass. So they tried to find who was least wrong who failed the least the exams are really that hard and uh, he was the one who failed the least so he got the top-level Pali but at that time he was off in Burma and he was practicing meditation and he practiced meditation in in Bangkok actually it's it's not true he he practiced meditation in Bangkok and went to Burma to see how they did things there as well but his practice was mostly in Bangkok Um, but he became after after Asaba, this uh, very important monk beca- went to prison he became the head meditation teacher in in uh, in Bangkok I've heard the phrase about transcending the three realms mm-hmm. Well, that's a topic for a long discourse probably um, but basically the three realms are the kama vachara, the realm of Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and feeling—the realm of of, of uh, ma- coarse materiality, of sensual pleasures, of sense desires, um, of the enjoyment of seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting and feeling—the rupa vachara is uh, form, the realm of fine material or form, where there is there is form but um, not the not sensuality, so there's no sex, there's no eating and drinking and listening to music, there's just form, mind and, and body. And then there's the arupa vajra, which is just just mind, no, no body, no form. So the arupa vajra and arupa vachara, the form and formless, these are the Brahma realms, these are God realms. So there are God realms that have form, and there are God realms that don't have form. but you have to kind of you have to go into more detail about how you get there and what they're involved and, and what they exactly mean. It's involving to get a re- really good discussion. you have to learn the abhidhamma, I think. Okay, well this is great. It's been uh, fun trying this out. We'll have to see how it works see what the the response is i don't know i mean this is a whole new interface but i got this neat neat uh, app that i can use you see so i can put things like this here mm, we've got this introduction i mean i could put some fancy introduction screen someday and i can do a desktop i can show you my desktop and it fades in and out and i've got multiple audio sources really neat app and you know, it's open source for linux Anyway, I'm going to stop there, so wish you all a good night, and hope to see you all tomorrow. If you have any questions that I haven't answered, please feel free to ask them again. I wasn't purposefully ignoring you. It's just um, time to go. So have a good night. Wishing you all the best.